Hi, and welcome to The Mean. I'm Ryan Huber, and joining me as always is Nick Seagraves. Hey, Nick. Hey, Ryan. Today, episode 35 of The Mean, we're going to be talking about science boys. And by science mm -hmm. boys, we mean, we, we mean people who the primary lens through which they claim to view the universe, either on their Reddit threads or on Twitter or on YouTube comment sections or in real life, I've never really met one in real life, thank God, um, is science. That science is something that can rule the way that we do everything. Um, and in fact, the science boys have their prophets. They include Bill Nye um, and others, but uh, most especially uh, the Reverend Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who through the series Cosmos and uh, other manifestations of scientism, uh, has established himself as the preeminent spokesperson for people who think that science is the discipline through which the entire world should be filtered. Nick, you heard about Neil deGrasse Tyson's uh, mm -hmm. proposal uh, to create a nation without borders whose citizens um, could live anywhere uh, but participate in this in this process of, of creating laws and living according to the dictums of science, on June 29th, Neil deGrasse Tyson tweeted out, uh, we need to have a, I'm paraphrasing, we need to have a country where called rationalia, hashtag rationalia, uh, rationalia, rationalia, uh, where all laws or all policy is based on evidence. Mm -hmm. So, Nick, today... Let's talk about evidence. Let's talk about rationality. Let's talk about philosophy, which Dr. Tyson uh, hates. Uh, let's talk about science, boys. Let's talk about scientism in our society. Where would you like to start? Oh, man. I mean, it goes so deep. You know, it just goes so deep. All right. Well, I then guess, let, 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 yeah. me, let me give you a little direction so that maybe, okay, please, maybe please, you please, don't please, have please. to choose. Why, Be my compass. Yeah, why is it important to talk about this? Yeah, okay, that's a great point. Um, so I think it's important because it's the new... Um, I'm trying to find a clever way to phrase this, but I'll, I'll just say it's the new default dogma sometimes, it seems like. Okay. Um, in culture, where it's this... I find more and more that people are just kind of conditioned to be like, well, there's this thing called science and it's a bunch of people in like white lab coats who deal with hard facts and reason. And then there's like everyone else who's doing like something. And we don't really know. Superstition is what we Superstition in the classic superstitious fields, like history and linguistics and things mm -hmm. like that. Epistemology. Um, epistemology the height of modern day superstition apparently and um and that's just how it works and even when i went to school a lot of of the humanities i took felt this pressure so there would always be this um we're going to look at this in a scientific light yeah or my history classes were like obsessed with trying to convince everyone that they are being completely empirical political that, science or or mm, uh, economics trying to prove that it's a pure science yeah well here's a huge thing that happened at my school we built a new 
million something millions of dollars science building and biology was on the top floor and chemistry was on the next one and physics was on the next one and computer science was in the basement where it belongs but (laughs) there was this empty floor with all these classrooms and there was this huge discussion of like well what other department would go in the science building and psychology was like well us obviously because we're science Mm -hmm. and economics was like no 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 we us and sociology are more scientific because we're like more based off of statistical analysis this is like a parable you like watched a real live parable of the humanities trying to be sciences yeah so there's all this huge discussion i think eventually math got it which is also strange in a different sort of way but it was this, it, I realized like, wow, people really want that little like gym badge that says I am a science bro. By the way, this and, is why I love Catholics because they're still building huge buildings for their humanities departments. They're like, this yeah. is a humanities building. This is what we do here. I love mm-hmm. it. It's, yeah. But not that there's anything wrong. So with who won? Nice who, who, who won the floor battle? I think it was math. I think math kind of swept in and was like, well, guys, we're like the foundation of Mm-hmm. blah blah um but it, it was a good example a parable like you said of how desperate i think people are to get that seal of approval and which so, well, the he, question is why yeah because it's power i i think the narrative that's been constructed um and this has even been through things like family guy oh yeah and popular films and even like Star Trek in some ways to it, it's fun in drama and comedy to have a character be like, I'm the cold rationalist, you know, yeah, and I'm the, I'm the sensational sexy captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, Ooh, they butt heads, but they're really friends. Mm-hmm. I think somehow that's translated into our, culture or maybe it arose out of it who knows but i think probably both probably both but it's this very romantic belief in this black and white division between reason and emotion reason and faith reason and anything that doesn't need falsifiable empirical science by the way i have a quote i want to put out there just in case i die and then people say who said that quote Uh, I was going to tweet it out the other day, but I'll drop it here. Wow. Um, Superstition is what religious people call other people's religions. Mm Mm-hmm. So if anyone ever calls you superstitious, it's because they have their own religion, whether their religion is science, whether their religion is whatever, secularism, Christianity. But people always look at other people's religious beliefs as superstitions because they threaten their own religious beliefs because like superstition, I don't really care about superstition. It doesn't threaten me. There's no, you know, okay. So you think that putting pee in your ear cures a, cures a earache. Great. Like fantastic. Thank you. Keep it up. Maybe it does. Who could say anyway, to return to the, to the science, why is science like ascendant as the, key to all being and why are there high profits of science and why has science dominated uh portions of our discourse i mean wouldn't some people say well no that was back in like the 1940s and 50s where everybody thought they were going to be the jetsons and it led us into world wars and now we're kind of over that like why why would we why are we not over that or why is it why is it still 
uh, a big deal. And I would, I would actually also ask you what corners of culture in which corners of culture, in which areas of culture is it still ascendant and reigning? And cause I don't mm-hmm. think that if you go to social justice warrior blogs that this kind of scientism is reigning, right? No, it's not because it's chauvinistic and super far right in terms mm-hmm. of like, certain things so let me ask you a question if you were to draw a cartoon character that was a a prototypical science boy like if you were to try to tell us police sketch artist Mm -hmm. like do a little police sketch like i'm the police sketch artist i'm going to draw this person you're like a science boy stole my wallet um and it was a random science boy but i know what they kind of look like what would you say white male Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. probably not too overweight actually okay um probably is into like keeping fit mm-hmm. um he's a cool guy maybe is getting a business degree maybe a law degree okay he pretty well trimmed um he has on a nice polo maybe with a like i don't know of hilarious neil degrasse tyson looking into space meme on the front of it it's his workout clothes. He okay. stole it when we were going to work out. Okay. So like I don't know his professional attire. Okay. But it was it was something like that. Pretty well dressed, middle income, blah 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 blah. Like that's the main mm-hmm. culprit. Yeah, I all guess. I wanted to get you to say was white male. This, this yeah, is white this, male middle class. White yeah, male middle class. Yeah, white you, male middle class. If you're a white male middle uh, class or upper middle class, you are much more likely to be a science boy and to worship at the altar of Neil deGrasse Tyson than anyone else. Like, you don't see a lot of poor black women in in this camp. Yeah. No, you do, you really don't. <laughs> you just really, really, really. Well, and don't. I think we'll probably by the end of this podcast get to some of the reasons for that. Like, there mm-hmm. are actual reasons why white men are more likely to gravitate towards this kind of thinking. But for yeah. the time being, we know that it's important because it really is ascendant in certain parts of culture, and people are arguing that it should be the way we rule ourselves. Like, it's important because. Neil deGrasse Tyson has thousands and thousands and thousands of Twitter followers, and he's saying that we should make a country called Rationalia based upon empirical evidence. Now, Nick, why is that tweet even problematic? Why? What? What is? First of all, there's a couple levels. I'll answer the question mm-hmm. for you. There's a couple levels at which it's problematic, but what are the? What's the most problematic level of that thought? That hey, what we really need here is a country called Rationalia in which all policy is based on the weight of evidence. Yeah. I don't know what, just based off that tweet alone, my definition of rationalism, I think is very different from his. Just based off of him being like, we need a country called rationalia, blah, blah, blah. What that means is looking letting the, what did he say, the weight of evidence decide policy or something? Yeah, I'll actually quote it to you yeah. so that so that we can really be mm-hmm. particular here. We can be... Okay. So, just need to get on my Neil deGrasse Tyson hat. Okay. On Twitter. I put mine on earlier, so I, okay. I thought we were doing Are you, that. Are you yeah. fine? You're good? I'm good. Okay. <clears throat> Earth needs a virtual co- country. Hashtag rationalia. With a one-line constitution. Colon. 
all policy shall be based on the weight of evidence. Nice. Yeah, so for me, I don't really know what, I guess, okay, let me be really charitable. When he's saying rationality, he's thinking of that amorphous character that I was talking about. He's thinking mm. of Spock. Like being a scientist. Was, yeah, being yeah, someone who's like, logical. Being a scientist in a, like, in, like, stage direction, basically. So not actually being, like, hi, I'm one of the 200 scientists who are working on a vaccine to, to you know, to fix the problems in the human papillona vaccine. And I look at a screen every day and we make minute changes that eventually add up to some big discovery, hopefully, or a slight modification that helps this uh, vaccine do better. And we're slowly getting closer to finding out how that works. I mean, I he's, don't think it's yeah. being uncharitable to say that he's talking about someone that holds a very similar worldview to him. Right. I mean, I don't think it's uncharitable no. for us to say. No. He, he's obviously talking about that. Well, and we, we should tell our audience, if they don't know about Neil deGrasse Tyson, he doesn't think philosophy is important, like, as a discipline. No. He doesn't. I don't think he thinks... Could you explain that? Anything isn't important. Could you explain why Neil deGrasse Tyson or other science boys don't... Why they're like, well, why do we even need philosophy? It's not, it's not even... A, it's, like, not a science, or it's not helpful. Yeah, but this is going to have to... I mean, I'm going to have to start talking about my pet theory. Okay, if that's all right. Okay. okay, okay, so let's decide whether or not to talk about your pet theory. Okay. Um, let's, let's decide, because it's, it's a little, it's a little, it's based off conjecture, okay, but I really have been form, forming it for the last Okay, let's save your theory, years. let's save yeah. your theory and focus on what are the problems with the tweet, the rationale okay. of the tweet. Yeah, well, for most, um, for most people who know the history of, like, Western thought and how we use words, like, um, rationality or if you called something like I'm really if you said I'm really devoted to rationalism mm -hmm. okay like if Neil deGrasse Tyson said that for people who are educated in that they would immediately think he's talking about Leibniz and Descartes and this division in Western philosophy right when it started becoming modern philosophy. All right, so between, tell us about that. So there was a division yeah. in modern philosophy, and there were certain thinkers on one side and certain thinkers on the other. And what did they disagree on? What was the difference? Yeah, basically, the primary um, source of knowledge and information. Okay, so, so epistemology. Yeah, well, I mean, epistemology is the first philosophy of almost every modern, modern philosopher. philosopher. And I mean modern in terms of, like, Ancient, modern, postmodern. Yeah, we're talking about like 1600 to 1950. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right? So, like, all of those guys, maybe one or two girls, unfortunately, um, were. Sorry, really, ladies. Really, sorry. We're really, really interested in finding out how do we know it's true? How do we know it's real? Et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, on the rationalism side, people said, we know it's true by abstract reason. So mm -hmm. they believe... Who is um, in that and, camp? Who's on that Who's on that team, that squad? Well, Descartes. I mean, his whole... The the Cogito is like a super rationalist statement. What, so, what's, like, the, what's the Cogito, Nick? I don't know if you've ever heard this quote well, before. But what is it, Nick? It's, I think, therefore I am. Oh, is that the Cogito ergo sum? Mm-hmm. Okay, so and I think, therefore I am. What does that even mean, though? People say that all the time, but I don't know what that means. 
Yeah, well, Descartes' whole thing was like, I'm sitting in a room. And I, <laughs> I, I, I hope to God that's what his voice was. <laughs> I'm sitting I mean, in a room. He basically died because a woman asked him to wake up at five a couple days a week. And he got, like, <laughs> sick and died. And that's, like, that's everyone's excuse. Everyone's like, yeah, this duchess made him wake up to tutor her sons or something at five o'clock. And he was so sick he couldn't do it. I was like, I wake up at five. Four times a week to make coffee. Like Renee, Renee, yeah. Renee. Anyways, anyways. Renee, get out of bed. Besides that, besides that. Get up, Renee. He's like, I'm sitting in a room and I'm looking around and I'm realizing that all these huge infrastructures we've inherited from scholasticism and Platonism and Arist Aristotelianism, et cetera, et cetera, they're all really cool, but can they survive just pure doubt? Yep. So I'm going to look at everything. I'm going to look at a piece of candle wax. I'm going to look at this fire. I'm going to look at my own hands and be like, how do I know I'm not a brain in a vat? You know, yeah. or for him, it was his analogy. was like, how do I know some like genie or demon hasn't like put me under this sleep where I'm just dreaming all So this, this is the matrix. Yeah. So, so Renee, like original... Renee, Renee Descartes wrote the matrix. Yeah. Okay. Totally. And he also wrote Cloud Atlas, but it wasn't as good. Okay. And there, that's so a good. Doing, that's a that's yeah. a good joke. Thank you. Thank you. Look that one up if you want, <laughs> guys. <laughs> they they so he did all that stuff, and he basically came down to like, well, even if I am in a demon's dream, or even if all of my sensory experiences are false, and even if everything is an illusion, and this whole world is fabricated there is one thing that i know for sure mm -hmm. and that is that i'm thinking because i'm asking all of these mm -hmm. questions it actually so, starts with doubting i doubt mm -hmm. therefore i think i think therefore i am yeah so it's like i have tried to doubt everything and the one thing that i cannot doubt is that i am doubting and doubting mm -hmm. is a form of thinking mm -hmm. and just for something to think it must be and so i exist so like that's so we're talking Which, yeah. this this is what we mean when we talk about pure rationality. Yeah, like when is he talking about evidence and this at all? Like there's No, it's actually yeah. against evidence. Mm -hmm. He doesn't well, want evidence. Like he he thinks that can trick you. Yeah. And here's the really really super interesting thing too about all of these discussions is the other side, the the British empiricists Hume, are Locke. Hume, Locke, Bar Bar Barclay, mm -hmm. we're not, they are not any more welcoming to this type of scientism either, mm -hmm. but for a very interesting reason. So over there, you know, the party was happening. So let's say that we have like yeah. an, like an, like an Anglo empiricism on the one hand, mm -hmm. and we have a continental rationalism on the other, right? That's basically yeah. true, right? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, and I was just going to give like a quick little like, do it. And this is what makes it even more complicated. So you have someone like Hume who's like, I'm an empiricist. I don't care about all this abstract reasoning. All, what I care about is experience. I care about the evidence that I experience personally, you know, the whole backbone of science mm -hmm. or so it would seem. But for Hume, his desire for experience-based evidence was so intense. Please talk about so, billiards. Yeah, and so consistent that it it would not allow 
anything else to exist. So a really, I'll talk about billiards, but I'll also talk about the sun. So for Hume, for example, it's like the sun rises every day. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a statement. Yep. And you could give quote unquote evidence that, well, for the last however thousands of years of human thought, it's risen every single day. Yep. And so it will rise again. But for Hume, because you can't experience future events, yep. he would say, that's unknowable. I yep. don't know. Aha, teehee, and then, like, skip away. Because Hume like, was actually an empiricist. He wasn't pretending yes. to be an empiricist. Yeah. Well, and then Barclay was an empiricist, too, and was like, oh, based off all these experiences I have had, everything must be a dream. You know? So, like, these people were very... And, I mean, the billiard thing, this is where it becomes very problematic for science. Like, is, everybody listen careful. <laughs> like, this is this is a moment. You have to pay attention yeah. to this. This is where things get really weird, is something like a billiard ball hitting another billiard ball, and that, you know, the momentum being transferred with force or whatever, and the other billiard ball flying across the pool table. For Hume, that situation doesn't have it doesn't he wouldn't say it doesn't have causality but it doesn't prove causality it doesn't prove causality and what i mean by causality is simply cause and effect so one billiard ball hits another that the other one moves so he'll say he'll say i observed one billiard ball hit another but i cannot say that the first one caused the second one to move yeah because causality in this these are his words is a rational, abstract idea. It's not part of, like, the billiard bar, ball doesn't send out sensory input data that says, by the way, I'm I'm the cause and this is the effect. This is you know, the it, perfect moment to go back to the tweet. Yeah. Perfect moment. If you have a country called Rationalia, where the one-line constitution is that all policy shall be based on the weight of evidence... What you are doing is ignoring the work of Hume, which you could be like, well, he's just some Scottish English guy. We can ignore him. But you're ignoring the distinction between what evidence is and what rationality is. They are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, we found, we found ways to tie them together, probably thanks to Kant in some way. It's got, probably he's the, the one that... Beautiful, beautiful, most beautiful man who's ever lived. And you can explain that in a little bit, how we can actually mm-hmm. have a system in which both empirical evidence and... Uh, rationality we don't have to kind of do this divide like we can we can bring hume and likeness or leapness together um but in the in that moment of philosophy you had some very divided schools one based on this is what we can observe the other based on this is how we can internally coherently think about this thing so tyson tyson being ignorant of philosophy comes through in that one tweet where he actually um, misconstrues or conflates rationality with empiricism. Yeah, totally. And I think if we're being really charitable, like I said before, he... He doesn't mean rationality like... He doesn't mean rationality. I think he probably means um, material mathematical realism... He means something crazy. Means a disposition towards using evidence uh, to reach conclusions. Mm -hmm. Um, A very specific kind of evidence. Yeah, and yeah, and then using what you think is good, which is not rational or empirical, using what you an idea of what you think is good to implement 
the findings of that evidence. So, the, I mean, the yeah. thing he's not telling you, here's the big reveal. <gasps> Bruce Willis is dead. Oh, um, my God. Yep. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Um, the big reveal is you still have to have ideas about what are good. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the problems of his tweet is that even if you have all the evidence in the world that just tells you what the world is like, it doesn't tell you what the world ought to be like. So you're always going to have to have some guiding principle about what you think ought to be in addition to what you believe or could prove is. And that's a big weakness of this kind of thinking besides just the division between rationality and empiricism. Now, rationality and empiricism, Nick, how do we bring those two estranged cousins back together and make them get awkwardly married? Yeah. I mean, this is admittedly pretty off topic, but it's still like good. So whatever. Um, so there's this really cool 50-year-old man named Emmanuel Kant whoop, whoop. who, like, never left his hometown and was, like, apparently really boring. But idiot. Whatever. And a total idiot because he wasn't a scientist, obviously. His name was Emmanuel. And what was he, His Jewish? name was Emmanuel, and his last name was Kant. Like, yeah. so, I'm not even going to do the German pronunciation because our yeah. podcast will get shut down. Yeah. Um, but he was basically... This is actually... I'm not even going to bring up on, like synthetic a priori stuff we don't have to not today this this is the biggest thing about this that shows you how the culture has shifted and why this is important so at this time western society was used to theology and philosophy and to a lesser extent history kind of giving these um skeletons of belief Mm -hmm. that people then fleshed out so Newton was, you know, starting to roll out and doing the Principia Mathematica and being Killing like, it, mechanics. Like, yeah, like classical mechanics and apples and gravity and blue ba doo ba doo ba doo And everyone was like, wow, this is really, really good. However, this is incredibly problematic to the academic community because we have rationalism that's saying, like, well, all this empirical data he's getting really doesn't have anything to do with knowledge in some ways. Or maybe it does, but we can never know for sure. Or you have a bunch of humans who are like, well, causality isn't real, so physics isn't really real, maybe. Mm, You're wasting your time, buddy. Yeah, which shows you how things were structured in the world of Mm -hmm. this theological, philosophical institutions kind of dictating the parameters of knowledge. It was pretty messed up. It was kind of like Facebook today, where people just have their echo chambers and they're not really having a conversation. They're just talking about two separate things. Yeah, exactly. And so, it, but I think what it should, and, it, and that's what gave Kant this impetus to try to merge these two strands because he was like, Newton's doing really, really, really great stuff. And he, it needs to have a philosophical foundation, you know? Whereas today, it's more like science has given us Pokemon Go, it has given us Beyonce holograms. It has given us NFL robots during the transition cards when they show the score. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has given us TVs and everything you've ever wanted. Trans fats, great. Podcasts. All the podcasts, blah, blah, blah. Great, 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 great. So now we're in a world where science has proven its authority. And philosophy and theology and every other discipline really has to find a way to fit into it as opposed to the other way around, Mm -hmm. which I thought that I think that's a very interesting point, which is what gives people like Tyson and Bill Nye 
the kind of wiggle room to say these statements that are completely crazy in in other arenas in mm-hmm. other so i mean the the long story short kant basically found a way to say like perhaps our rationality you know perhaps all of our experience i'm not going to be able to summarize this i'm like a really short amount of time regardless it's just spread your wings and fly nick yeah it's just some if not all of the data we experience is already constructed by our minds. Boom. So he brought it together. There you go. Yeah. That, that, so, was, that was a yeah. great, you should teach philosophy. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Yeah. So basically the data that we are observing empirically is assembled in our minds already. So there's already rational, uh, rational processes at work in our interpretation mm-hmm. of data. Yeah. So things like time and space and modality and causality are, they are human constructs, but we can't help but think in that. It's not like we choose. It's not like someone sat down and was like, I'm going to invent the concept of time. It's Mm -hmm. just how our brains are wired. But it's real. But it's real. Ish. I mean, that's, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's physical. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it's real in that because we're humans and only humans can have these conversations and we use language languages lives in the brain and the mind. And, mm-hmm. and these are the human constructs constructs are just as real to humans as material things. Yeah. Well also because there's no alternative. Yeah. You know, it's not like there's a group of like hermits who have learned to not, speak ever in terms of the category of modality mm-hmm. ever like mm-hmm. it's impossible because that is how we think and speak as human beings and i think the rebirth of this this kind of super science boys yep. thing culturally comes at a time where we saw a rebirth of i want to say religious zealotry yeah I, I think those two things... Like the rise of the um, moral majority and the religious right in the 1980s. Yes. The confrontation of our society with uh, global ver- ver- varieties of Islam. Um, the s- sort of dawning realization on the part of secularists that indeed secularism wasn't uh, a triumphalistic marching towards an inexorable victory over all forms of superstition and, and religious belief and, and non-scientific mm-hmm. belief. It seems to be a retrenchment. It seems to be a re, a, a reactionary movement um, that's trying to cope with the fact that indeed secularism has not won the day. Yeah. But, I mean, that's really what it is. It's like you have the moral majority, you have the religious right that came up in the early 2000s. And that's when you see the kind of... Um, I mean, Dawkins, Dennett, and Hitchens were around before then, but the, like, takeoff of their popularity mm-hmm. really is the Bush era. Yeah. You know, it really is this time where there were people who literally thought, like, wow, evangelical Christianity is this huge mm-hmm. political force. Well, you remember, like, Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Marilyn Manson would talk about Christian fascism ruling the country. Yeah. Like, that well, it people was that really powerful. Thought that. Yeah, people really thought that we are going 
to become a mega Christian nation again, or for the first time, really. But um, yeah, so yeah, and I think that creates the environment where people are responding to something in a reactionary way and not in. I'm sorry, a, did I step step all over your theory that you're going to share? Oh no, my theory is a lot more ad hominem. So it's not like an actual... I think now would be a good time to just introduce our ad hominem attack. Uh, if you want oh. to know why an ad hominem attack isn't a good idea, you can listen to our uh, podcast episode on fallacies. But we're going to do mm-hmm. it anyway because we've given you a historical reason for the rise that we think why the, the rise of this kind of science boyism is happening. We've given you um, a little bit of, of some cultural reasons by saying that it's the white guy kind of thing. But Nick's going to really uh, zoom in on this now and tell you kind of why personally certain people tend to seem to be attracted to this kind of movement mm-hmm. um, rather than others. So, Nick, I want you to give us your elegant ad hominem theory as to why uh, scientism and um, anti-philosophical materialism seems to be on the rise in certain quarters. Yeah. It is a return to concreteness. And I think art on paper, it is okay. You know? And so it reminds me so much of for people who were in mainline Christian circles over the last 10 years, the rise of the young restless and reformed yep. group. Cause it's basically the same, uh, ethnic and you know mm-hmm. social lineup of like these young white guys who are in a culture now where you need to think about if you're offending muslims and mm-hmm. understand the difference between a demi sexual pan romantic well yeah a, and we should say part yeah. of this is a reaction we said it's a reaction against a lot of things one of them is it's a mm-hmm. reaction to postmodernism yes totally because while postmodernism, I think people thought it would be really great for getting rid of like superstitious religious blah blah blah, it's actually proven to be, in some ways, pretty fertile for religious belief. Because when it levels, it, it levels yeah. the ground between people who are like I only believe in science, and yeah, then other and people who are like I worship my own demigoddess within myself, who's actually yeah. a lion, which is me. <laughs> Which is so, Nick Seagrass. That's that's his avatar. On oh no, I meant that's the person speaking, but also me. No, that's that what my, <laughs> yeah, and my religion. So, but it it's this weird thing where I I have always read it a lot of. I don't know if Dawkins and these people will do it for that reason, but the people I know who have bought into this for a short amount of time or for a long amount of time, it seems like they're done they're exhausted by always trying to, you know, reason through all of these possibilities and to try to articulate Mm -hmm. all of these different things and take into account all of the cultures and sexualities and Mm -hmm. ethnicities and political needs and blah, 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 blah. Well, I mean, postmodern epistemology is so fragmented. It's so hard Mm -hmm. to get on hold of. Like, I'm not saying... It has no value. We actually value it a great deal. You can see episode two of our podcast, but uh, called No Pomo. Um, but it's like it's so much work to try to keep up with. Mm-hmm. 
Well, because of all those things. I mean, old school epistemology is, you know, are we going to have an evidentialist-based mm-hmm. epistemology? Yeah, what we said are earlier. We... Like, I think, yeah. therefore, I am, or these billiard balls are yeah. hitting each other. And the good thing that postmodern did, postmodernism introduced to the epistemological question is, like, well, what about someone's gender? What about someone's social mm-hmm. standing? What yeah. about their race? Like, what about the history? Mm-hmm. And, like, you're a person making these choices. So maybe something that seems obviously true to you and is foundational is really not obviously true to the rest of the world or to different cultures. And so, and that doesn't mean that, you know, I think hyper postmodernism is, and then therefore there is no such thing as truth ever, but it just, it opens up to be like, wow, for a long time, almost every culture on the face of this planet was like, we should kill criminals in front of children in the middle of a street. And like everyone was like, yeah, that's so fun. Yeah, we need to show like, let's them do like, it. What? Let's get someone and tie a rope around their neck mm-hmm. and let my child watch them strangle to death off of a tree. Yeah. And that's just gonna be like Sunday afternoon, living the life. Like that's why and, you go to bed when I say go to bed, son. Yeah, that's what happens if you steal from our Lord Vassal or whatever. <laughs> like so, like, and it was just obvious. It was just, oh, yeah, duh, we do that. That's mm-hmm. something we do. Mm-hmm. And I think postmodernism does a really good job of being like, okay, let's unpack that. But I I also believe that this science bro, it's a return to almost simpler times. It reminds me a lot of the nostalgia episode that we that we just did. Boom. Of episode 34. The, Look it up. The politics of... Remember when we could just have like 90% tariffs on Japanese goods during a world war. <laughs> why don't we like, why aren't we doing that right now? And mm-hmm. with, sci- with science bros, it's like, remember when in the late Victorian era where if you were a geologist, you could just say whatever you wanted mm-hmm. and people would be like, yeah. Remember when like, fa- facts were facts? Yeah. It's almost like that would be their bumper sticker. Like I remember when a clean scientific article about the size of people's skull and how that proves how black or not black they are was acceptable in our society and now i have to deal with all these people calling me racist and insensitive so like what is you know what's what's going on and yeah, be a really i'm, long I'm just wait, yeah i'm just waiting for the return of that the uh what was it fr- frenetics or something like that mm-hmm. I i'm just what it's i'm just called. waiting for the, the return of that where it's like the bumps on your skull dictate like how much of an ape you are yeah because that was super scientific right yeah yeah well i mean you can find the origin of species in every Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. but I really want you to go to the help desk and be like, "Do you have the Descent of Man by <laughs> by Charles Darwin? Darwin?" Because the answer will be uh, forever no. No, and because it's horrifying. I, yeah, I couldn't even. I have been looking for it for a long time. I'm sure I could get it off of Amazon, but I really want someone to actually. Of someone who owned a bookstore to have actually ordered it for their shelves. So if I want to if, talk al- if alchemy is the secret shame of Newton, mm-hmm. then all the kind of social Darwin race stuff is the shame of Darwin, right? Like all the, yeah, all the weird human stuff. Mm-hmm. Because it gets really strange because it is a natural jump for the people of that time. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're in that era and you think. 
well, obviously black people and white people are different. Look at our society. Mm-hmm. And look how much better one of those groups of people is. Not going to say who, mm-hmm. but just like, I yeah. happen to be one of, you know, part of one yeah. of those groups. I happen to be in one and that, and mm-hmm. also mine also happens to be the one that has a monopoly on truth. Mm-hmm. So it, and like, wouldn't very, it be better if there were more of one of these and less of the other? And like, wouldn't it be yeah. great if we set up like a society for that? And would it be great? And what's then- the reason for that? You know, and the reason is these people are a little bit lower on the progression of Homo sapiens. Yeah, and wouldn't it be better if we like set up some really cool medical clinics to like just encourage maybe less of one of those groups of people to exist and like maybe more of the other one to exist of which I'm a part, and then like maybe we could just like make a perfect human race. Mm-hmm. And that's not saying that this, obviously the new science shows are not going to be into eugenics, but like. Or are they? Will they? I mean, the things Richard Dawkins has said about Islam, like, (laughs) I mean, I am not like the biggest fan of Islam. I'm gonna say you don't cosplay at Islam. Yeah, I'm not. I don't go to Islam Con anymore. Yeah, but like, the things he says make me like feel like gross. Yeah, Yeah. they make me feel like. Because they're they're so weird. They're just they're like they give John Piper a run for his money in terms Ooh. of just like insane old man tweets. Yeah, that like that like <laughs> that no one will ever take down because they're afraid of talking to him. Really, so it's just <laughs> like that's oh my god, it's so scary. Well, he was a great student at Hogwarts. Mm. So, um, all right, so. You are sharing with us your theory of of why a fanboy, a science science boy, is a science boy, and it, you're saying it's a reaction against this kind of postmodern epistemology. It's a it's a it's a retrenchment. It's a reactionary kind of movement against all these new things that have to be dealt with, and probably against like the rise of you know awareness of multiple religions still being kind mm-hmm. of growing, and and other non religion religions like. Um, Radical feminism, post-colonial critical race theory, uh, um, gender kind of Tumblr, social justice warrior blogism. Like this is mm-hmm. this is really it's interesting because most of these science bros aren't traditionally conservative, but they're starting to form this kind of like alt-right niche of like. Well, maybe the best way to do things is to have someone like a strong man come run everything for us based on rationality. Yeah. That's literally what it is. I mean, that, that, obviously it's not literally what it is, but that, a lot of the motivation when people, especially people who have, who are in that. Like they might not vote for Donald Trump, but they would definitely Mm -hmm. vote for like Elon Musk if Elon Musk had a had a similar platform. Yeah. If, if, Donald Trump was a technology mogul. Yep. I think the way we talked about him would be very different yep. in our in our culture. Like if he was someone who always supported the sciences mm-hmm. because shocker they're also a great way to make money lol like it's it would be very different. I I and I I think my personal theory comes from knowing people who have left new atheism and just hearing the the motivation of like it's easy yeah you know it's 
I'm being, I'm the smart one in the room. Mm -hmm. I'm the rationalist in Mm -hmm. their terms, not the ones we just talked about, but Mm -hmm. I'm the reasonable Spock type stoic Mm -hmm. agent Scully, who's also a Catholic stoic, like agent Mm -hmm. Scully type person. And you are all these like sheeple mumbling, Mm -hmm. manipulated babies who don't know what's going on. It's uh, so much easier to live that way than to try to actively engage with someone in a democracy. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so much easier. And I think that's why people do it, because it sounds good to me. Like, it sounds good to me to be able to be like, I don't have to worry about what I think, what you think, what anyone thinks. I'm literally a vessel for absolute truth, yeah. i.e. I'm just worried yeah. about, I'm just worried about evidence. I'm just worried about truth. Mm-hmm. I'm just worried. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about all the rest of that because that's just basically made up. It, it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. It doesn't really change the facts all that much, even if perspective changes them a little bit. I just, it's not, it's not enough of a win for the discussion I'm having. I would rather just kind of be right. And if I have to, I will either find a community that completely agrees with me so I don't have to deal with anybody else, or I'll try to have my beliefs enforced upon others uh, when they disagree. Totally. (sighs) Oh, science boys. Now, why do you think Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson in particular, have become the high priests of this stuff. Because it could have been anyone. And they're a little bit different than even, like, a Dawkins or, like, Mm -hmm. especially, like, a Daniel Dennett, who's actually a philosopher. Um, Why why do you think the high priests of this kind of rationalia thinking are the ones that they are? Why, why, Why them and not somebody else? Um... They're the missing link. They're like, they're American Hitchens, basically, which was his only, like, drawback for popular culture. Yeah. Like, they are, first of all, Bill Nye, nostalgia. Because he he taught us about science when we were kids. Yeah. I remember it was fun and blah, blah, blah. And now that we're adult and we're dealing with adult issues, he also has things to say about adult issues. Like, Mm -hmm. that engineers should only be senators and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And climate change. Uh, and climate change and tee And then Neil deGrasse Tyson is this, he like checks so many boxes for the, for the, for the person of like, he has the, I worked myself out of a black community and I have a PhD in science mm-hmm. narrative. He knew Check. Carl Sagan. He knew Carl Sagan. Check. He is relatively good at public speaking. Check. Mm-hmm. He uses he, poetic and humanistic language to describe the universe. Constantly, all the time, forever. Do you want to comment on that? No, I can't. This is going to turn into a four-hour long... I, like... (laughs) I've gotten over the Cosmos. I don't ever want to talk about it again. I don't ever want to see it again. (laughs) Well, you're not anticipating Cosmos Season 2? What is he going to talk about? What is left to talk about? Like, is he going to go through... I imagine Cosmos Season 2 is going to be, like, a personal history of the Catholic Church brought to you by Seth MacFarlane. Wait, wait, wait. Were you and, surprised like, that a show about science went, went into like the history of a certain Catholic priest being excommunicated? Yeah. <laughs> Were you shocked by that? I was a little shocked by that. I was a little shocked by that because, you know, my grandparents love Carl Sagan. So, I watched the old one a lot. And you know, they were the type of old people who like donate to PBS and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. like 
they had the gear, you know, the little like packets they send you when you <laughs> donate. And so they were really into it. And then I was like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. And then I found out Seth MacFarlane was involved and I was like, it'll probably have like a musical number in it, I guess. Or yeah. Something. yeah. Or like fart jokes or something. Just, yeah. Neil Grace Tyson, every period is just replaced with a fart for like the whole thing. And then there's like a really irreverent Lindsay Lohan rape reference at the end that everyone's like, can you believe? Can you believe Lindsay Lohan yeah. on Cosmos? Uh, but none of that happened. And instead I got like episode one, let's talk about people being excommunicated from the Catholic church for believing the universe is infinite. Like what? Like what in, are we in, in cartoon form, in cartoon form, in cartoon form that looks like it was produced by Focus on the Family, really. Like and, it's Anna the Barbera. Weirdest, yeah. Like Focus on the Family meets Scientology video. And I'm like, all right. This cool. might seem frivolous, but I asked you about Cosmos because I it's part of my question about why Neil deGrasse Tyson, why, you know, Seth MacFarlane to a certain extent, why uh although he can't be a public figurehead per se because he doesn't have a degree in science mm-hmm. uh why bill why bill he has to be behind the scenes why bill Nye the science guy you know why does it matter why does it matter that neil degrasse degrasse tyson made cosmos like why is that important yeah um hmm it gives him a a, a platform yep i mean that's the obvious one it gives them a platform, and it proves that both of them are becoming really successful because they are cashing in mm-hmm. on nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, his Cosmos, cash- like for those of you who don't know, is a remake of Carl Sagan's Cosmos. Yes, from the like the seventies mm-hmm. or the eighties. And maybe. you know, things like the Cosmos Two, which are, is so interesting to me, are always so philosophical. Like even the Carl Sagan one. It was, I remember it being like the first time I really thought about very classic philosophical questions of identity, of um, the nature of time, um, the nature of the, uh, the concept of infinity and the concept of nothingness. These are things that philosophers have been talking about since pre-Socratic mm-hmm. times. So it's like, and I, I've always, re- I didn't think Carl Sagan was like, yeah, let's do philosophy, but he was very open to kind of allowing those natural questions to come mm-hmm. out well and tyson followed in the, his footsteps in terms like i want to talk about one word in particular they love mm-hmm. to use the word elegant mm-hmm. they love to use the word elegant to describe models or theories or understandings of the universe elegant is a very human word it's, it's a word not just used by humans but to describe humans to describe fashion and to describe music and i think it, it might not be purposeful, but I think it's significant that very humanistic language often comes into play in shows like Cosmos, both the Sagan and the Tyson editions. And in a lot of the, the ways they talk about the world, they like to evoke beauty and wonder and awe and a sense of morality surrounding these things rather than this cold, dead, scientific view of the universe that they resort to whenever they're having any kind of discussion or argument where they feel like someone yeah. might disagree with them. And that's what's infuriating. It's like they allow mysticism and romanticism and anthropomorphizing things when it's when it's a TV show. 
but any type of philosophical conversation is like, no, we don't do that. That's not worth it. That's never. It's just really confusing to me. Yeah, it's kind of like never, for, it's yeah. for me. It's kind of like the um, John Stewart, John Oliver, clown nose on, clown nose off. Like, hey, I'm mm-hmm. gonna make a really detailed poly- policy analysis, Stephen Colbert, and then they come back at you, and you come back at them, and they go blah, 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 jokes. You know, it's like, wait, yeah. wait, what are you doing? I thought we were having a really I you you critiqued my policy. I came back and, and explained it to you, and then and gave you a good counter argument. And then now you're making a fart joke. Like what? Like what's? Are you a comedian or are you a political scientist? And then I would say to Neil deGrasse Tyson, Are you a scientific materialist empiricist uh, philistine, which is what people call call him because mm-hmm. he doesn't like philosophy, um, or are you a poet? And in my worldview, you can be both. But in your worldview, you cannot be both. So mm-hmm. that's my question. Like, I'm trying to hold you to your own standards. I think you can speak of the universe really humanistically, really poetically, because um, I have a notion that perhaps a personal force caused the universe to come into being. So it doesn't. there's no contradiction for me in terms of science and philosophy and the humanities and everything else coming together. But th- these guys seem to think that philosophy and the humanities are kind of a joke, especially religion is below a joke. And so uh, why do they get to speak religiously about stuff that they claim has nothing to do with religion? Because LOL, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, it is, yeah. I think crazy. the most positive thing about the, the the tweet thing is most of the Twitter interactions I saw with Neil deGrasse Tyson were people openly mocking him. And I read about three articles uh, and then saw about 10 more headlines that were just openly being like, this is why people, especially people like Neil deGrasse Tyson need to study philosophy because they say things that are literally meaning like it is incoherent to say we should have a nation called rationalia based on the weight of evidence because like we said before, there's three or four separate things wrong with this. One is the question that Alistair McIntyre asks, uh, which justice, whose rationality? That's one question we should ask. Who gets to define rational? The other question, what's the difference between rationality and evidence? Who, like, What's the preponderance of, of, of evidence versus sort of uh, philosophical, ideological coherence? Oh, also... How can you say that evidence has anything to do with an ought, which laws are? Laws represent an ought. They represent not an is, but an ought. The is-ought distinction is very important. We talk about it in a couple of our different podcasts. But could you help illuminate just how weird it is to say that a law should be based on only evidence? Yeah. It's weird because a bunch of our current laws, I don't even know how evidence could be implemented in them because most laws are, or they should be, you know, reflections of, we as a society think that it is good that you can have the, you know, freedom of speech. So we're going to put laws in effect that protect your freedom of speech. Are we also think it's good that you can have a house and someone can't come in and be like, this is my house now and then kill you and like kill your family and be like, sorry, like, oops, like whatever. I mean, we used to be into that when it was like, you know, manifest destiny stuff, but now we're really over it. And so it's there. So there's private property is a great example. 
we talked about this. How does evidence show, okay, let's be really charitable. Let's say they did a huge giant, they got every statistician, Nate Silver rounded up mm-hmm. all the gay statisticians and they all like got on a flaming chariot and went to DC and they were like, we're going to find out if private property makes people happier. So we're going to do this huge, everyone forcibly submits their entire life to a census and they do the biggest analysis mm-hmm. ever done. And by the way, everyone's it. honest. Everyone agrees that happiness everyone's is honest. the way that we No one it. lies. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. There's never been history. There's mm-hmm. never been Yeah, we have perfect knowledge. Anything. Yeah. So obviously all of that, just like how it is right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he does it and he's like, oh, science has proven or shown our math, I guess, which we're not even going to get into if math is science, mm-hmm. but has shown that people who own property are happier than homeless men underneath overpasses. <laughs> we, we discovered this. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I guess the Tyson government will be like, it has been declared, it has been verified mm-hmm. by goddess science. Mm-hmm. And therefore we will now create laws to protect private property. But the thing that blows my mind is even if we're being the most charitable here, there's two assumptions that, are crazy or just problematic one everything would have to be like a test law first yeah because that's how science works yeah like it science doesn't work as like we know this is true do it it's mm-hmm. here's the hypothesis so yeah. we'd have to be like we think that we'd have to figure out if murdering <laughs> each other is a good idea yeah like let's okay let's try for two years to decriminalize murder mm-hmm. and we'll it look at the data the, it afterwards. would just be the rick and morty episode on the purge the perch planet yeah yeah and like and like like, let's look afterwards and see what people think and so let's say people were okay with that which no one would be ever no but step two even if people were okay with that the way they would judge it would have to be i'm guessing some type of ethical calculus Mm -hmm. they would have to do some type of like well you know 80 people goodness real. usefulness happiness wealth yeah. whatever standard yeah, you need to something use something like which by oh, the way would be an arbitrary decision because it's not evidence-based it's just what you prefer yeah or do they do an experiment to be like which of these things is the best to judge it on like should we be judging things on people's financial security or mm-hmm. personal happiness how long or, they live or how many slaves yeah, they own yeah or how many bumps they have on their head mm-hmm. like i it's it is so groundless that it's hard to even critique because it's how mm-hmm. it's simple, a simple thing of should we allow monopolies, Neil deGrasse Tyson science that for me, science like, it out, buddy, science it out. Like what does chemistry, what does astrophysics have to say about monopolies? Mm-hmm. What does psych- what is even psychology, if you're going to call it a science, Mm-hmm. have to say about monopolies really it could say they make people not feel good when they're not part of them mm-hmm. maybe which is like mm-hmm. okay does that matter like there's, it, it's it slows so... down innovation yeah. and innovation allows people to create new things and novelty is something we value therefore because we value novelty we don't like monopolies yeah that's a great philosophic argument but i'm looking for hard scientific evidence yeah it's not a hard yeah it isn't a hard scientific argument it's a philosophical yeah 
Well, I'm sorry, but in hashtag rationalia, mm-hmm. we only look through our assholes and we have to find <laughs> evidence. So help me out here. Thank you. That's incredible. Yeah, it's just it's so fraught. Like, and this is why studying philosophy is so important. Because if you don't, this is Plato's cave. This is Plato's cave. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson is in Plato's cave looking at the shadows on the wall going, this is evidence, this is reality. He He's in... in you and I have blessedly been freed. We're walking out the sunlight. We come back inside. We're like, hey, Neil, we need you to know some things about how words work, how thoughts work, how rationality works, how arguments work, how evidence works, how the is-ought distinction works, how the, the difference between different schools of philosophy. We need you to know all this stuff. And he's like, listen, guys, I'm looking at these things. And we're like, those are only shadows, Neil. Those are only shadows mm-hmm. cast on the wall of the real light that's outside if we could just have this discussion. And and we're going to let you free. And he's like, listen, you letting me free is a waste of time because I've already found my evidence here. Yeah. This is it's Plato's like, cave. It's dealing with anyone who's a dog who's dogmatic. Mm-hmm. About you know? anything. About anything. It's about dealing with someone who's like, well, I only read the Bible. Okay, mm-hmm. well, you know, this is like a 2,000-year-old language, and, like, mm-hmm. we're still trying to figure out philology and, mm-hmm. like, blah, blah, blah. Let's blah. talk about genre for a minute. Let's talk about genre. And, like, maybe, you know, like, even you, you don't consistently do read the Bible the same way for everything, right? No. Nope. And it's just like, no, I do. It's like, oh, you literally can't have a conversation with someone. Like yeah. And it's the same way where it's like, well, science would prove a perfect government because evidence, if we could just base laws off of evidence, things would be better. And it's so far-fetched. It's so non-sequitur. Like, it's almost mm-hmm. a category. It's, it's like a category it is a, it, error. It is. It's a category error. And Nick, because, Nick and yeah. I, the way we feel about people who make category errors, and category errors means you're literally not making sense because you're – it would be like if I said, Nick, what is your f- favorite flying frog ice cream bar? Mm-hmm. Or even better, I'm in an argument with someone, and he thinks that blue tastes good, and I think that taste smells yellow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're like, "What are you?" There's there none of these. It's like someone who doesn't speak your language. And I almost. think I think Admiral Watermelon. Yeah. So, can you help us out? And I'd be like, "Wow, I didn't know I was back in freshman metaphysics all so, over." So again. to to kind of pay homage to our drag queens podcast podcast when someone makes a category error that is as stark and obvious as what neil degrasse tyson made in his tweet nick and i like to look at him and go oh honey that's how i feel i feel like i feel like a drag queen looking at someone who's a hot mess and just going oh honey i always feel like that because i'm you know whatever i don't even know like it's i just it's what you said when you show when you retweeted that at me it was just why you like, almost it just even, feel bad yeah. you feel bad yes. person. and it's not from like a point of like i'm so educated and he is a philistine it's more like i it's because i know what he's trying to say mm-hmm. he's just not he doesn't but it's it's hard to even deal with him it's like trying to hold a drowning scorpion and it just keeps stinging you. And you're like, can you like, I'm trying to get you out of this, whatever. Can you stop singing me? And it's like, sorry, it's my nature. I'm like, I do you want me to let you drown? And that's how I feel with Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's like, I understand what you're trying to say. Like, maybe we can like 
learn philosophy together, guys. And instead, it's like, no, philosophy's dead. Like, a literal mm-hmm. quote from him. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't even, I can't help you because the one thing that could help you clarify these statements, give you a more robust belief system, maybe even give you a shred of consistency in your ideological and maybe personal life is you just thrown out the window. So mm-hmm. I don't, it's, it's just, it is an oh honey type thing. Cause it's just like, you are, a, you're a child. You're, it's you're true. a child. All right, Nick, let's give him some takeaways. First takeaway. Don't be a Philistine. <laughs> Nick, what's a Philistine? What's a Philistine? Yeah. Like when someone calls him a Philistine. But he's just uncultured. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's a definition of someone who's uncultured. Like he doesn't understand the history of Western thought. He's a Philistine. Like, sorry. Like, so takeaway number one, don't be a might have a better understanding of Western thought than Neil deGrasse Tyson does it. And that's sad. All joking aside, like, don't just be a specialist in one area and have no appreciation whatsoever for art, culture, music, history, sports, philosophy, other ways of thinking, other people's viewpoints. Don't just specialize in botany or in, (laughs) um, or in, um, post racial dance choreography and not know anything about engineering or mathematics or science or anything else. Like be a, in some ways, my takeaway is you've got to, at some level, if you want to have these discussions. Now, if you want to go be a farmer and not care about any of this and and not have to interact with people, that's cool. I'm not saying everyone has to be educated, but if you want to be part of the citizenry, if you want to be part of the populace, if you want to have these discussions, if you want to make any sense on social media, you have to be a generalist. You can't only be a specialist. You have to have a general knowledge. This is what we used to teach in colleges, that your first two years in colleges, Nick, I don't know if you knew this, you, you had to get a broad, basic understanding of the world from various disciplines. Why? It's <laughs> a good question. Yeah. But how does that help me in a, in this professional economy? I'll, I'll tell you this: if you're if you have anything to do with communities that give money to or support or have anything to do with colleges, know that only six percent of colleges in North America have any philosophy or theology requirement. Mm-hmm. Just know that. So ninety four percent of colleges and universities do not have a theology or philosophy requirement. So what that means is you don't have to think in certain ways about certain things, and you can come out of Philistine. Let's change that, guys. Or how about, like, elect to take a philosophy course? Like, just take one. Maybe. Any takeaways from you, Nick? Um, yeah, that. I would say science is great. I, I like science. I'm pro science. It's super beautiful. I think that it's... I think pure sciences are in just as much of a bad situation as philosophy and theology as more and more people and universities put money into engineering and practical uh, science, practical sciences, which those aren't bad either, but uh, and less and less attention is given to what Neil deGrasse Tyson actually does um, or what Stephen Hawking became famous for, mm-hmm. which is theoretical phys- uh, for Stephen Hawking's theoretical mm-hmm. physics. Astrophysics so, and such. Yeah. You know, things that you can't monetize, basically. And I think it's a beautiful way of looking at the world. It's a great way of understanding aspects of physical reality. And it's a great way to, like, help other people. Like, where would we be without medical science and without, you know, 
air conditioners and just things like that. However, all of these wonders, all of these signs and miracles do not have anything to do with the truth. Are, are, they don't, by definition, have something to do with the truth. Well, let me, let so, me put it differently. Yeah. They don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. They don't mean anything, and they don't mean that you'll be a good person, live a good life, or have a good society. Yeah. You good with that? I'm good with that. Cool. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. We'll come back to you next week with an episode uh, maybe a little lighter. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about, you know, race or something. Super light. Uh, But for now, this has been Ryan. And Nick. And you'll hear from us next week. Bye. Bye.